0: book two chapter one of michael strogoff courier of the czar this librivox recording is in the public domain michael strogoff by jules verne book two chapter one a tartar camp at a day's march from Kolivan, several versts beyond the town of Diachinks, stretches a wide plain planted here and there with great trees principally pines and cedars this part of the steppe is usually occupied during the warm season by siberian shepherds and their numerous flocks but now it might have been searched in vain for one of its nomad inhabitants not that the plain was deserted it presented a most animated appearance there stood the tartar tents there feofar khan the terrible emir of bokhara was encamped and there on the following day the seventh of august were brought the prisoners taken at kolyvan after the annihilation of the russian force which had vainly attempted to oppose the progress of the invaders of the two thousand men who had engaged the two columns of the enemy the bases of which rested on tomsk and omsk only a few hundred remained thus events were going badly and the imperial government appeared to have lost its power beyond the frontiers of the ural for a time at least for the russians could not fail eventually to defeat the savage hordes of the invaders but in the meantime the invasion had reached the center of siberia and it was spreading through the revolted country both to the eastern and the western provinces if the troops of the amur and the province of takutsk did not arrive in time to occupy it irkutsk the capital of asiatic russia being insufficiently garrisoned would fall into the hands of the tartars and the grand duke brother of the emperor would be sacrificed to the vengeance of ivan ogareff what had become of michael strogoff had he broken down under the weight of so many trials did he consider himself conquered by the series of disasters which since the adventure of ichim had increased in magnitude Did he think his cause lost, that his mission had failed, that his orders could no longer be obeyed? Michael was one of those men who never give in while life exists. He was yet alive, he still had the imperial letter safe, his disguise had been undiscovered. He was included amongst the numerous prisoners whom the Tartars were dragging with them like cattle, but by approaching Tomsk he was at the same time drawing nearer to Irkutsk, Besides, he was still in front of Ivan Ogareff. "'I will get there,' he repeated to himself. Since the affair of Kolyvan, all the powers of his mind were concentrated on one object to become free. How should he escape from the emir's soldiers? Feofar's camp presented a magnificent spectacle. Numberless tents of skin, felt, or silk glistened in the rays of the sun. The lofty plumes which surmounted their conical tops waved amidst banners, flags, and pinions of every color. The richest of these tents belonged to the Seids and the Kojas, who are the principal personages of the Khanate. A special pavilion, ornamented with a horse's tail issuing from a sheaf of red and white sticks artistically interlaced, indicated the high rank of these Tartar chiefs then in the distance rose several thousand of the turcoman tents called Karioi, which had been carried on the backs of camels the camp contained at least a hundred and fifty thousand soldiers as many foot as horse soldiers collected under the name of alaminis amongst them and as the principal types of turkestan would have been directly remarked the tajiks from their regular features white skin tall forms and black eyes and hair they formed the bulk of the Tartar army, and of them the khanates of Kokand and Konduj had furnished a contingent nearly equal to that of Bokhara. With the Tajiks were mingled specimens of different races who either reside in Turkestan or whose native countries border on it. There were Uzbeks, red-bearded, small in stature, similar to those who had pursued Michael. Here were Kyrgyz, with flat faces like the Kalmuks, dressed in coats of mail some carried the lance bows and arrows of asiatic manufacture some the sabre a matchlock gun and the chakane a little short-handled axe the wounds from which invariably prove fatal there were mongols of middle height with black hair plaited into pigtails which hung down their back round faces swarthy complexions lively deep-set eyes scanty beards dressed in blue nankeen trimmed with black plush sword-belts of leather with silver buckles, coats gaily braided, and silk caps edged with fur and three ribbons fluttering behind. Brown-skinned Afghans, too, might have been seen, Arabs, having the primitive type of the beautiful Semitic races, and Turkomans, with eyes which looked as if they had lost the pupil, all enrolled under the emir's flag, the flag of incendiaries and devastators among these free soldiers were a certain number of slave soldiers principally persians commanded by officers of the same nation and they were certainly not the least esteemed of feofar khan's army if to this list are added the jews who acted as servants their robes confined with a cord and wearing on their heads instead of the turban which is forbidden them little caps of dark cloth if with these groups are mingled some hundreds of kalenders, a sort of religious mendicants clothed in rags, covered by leopard skin, some idea may be formed of the enormous agglomerations of different tribes included under the general denomination of the Tartar army. Nothing could be more romantic than this picture in delineating which the most skilful artist would have exhausted all the colors of his palette." Feofar's tent overlooked the others. Draped in large folds of a brilliant silk looped with golden cords and tassels, surmounted by tall plumes which waved in the wind like fans, it occupied the center of a wide clearing, sheltered by a grove of magnificent birch and pine trees. Before this tent, on a Japanned table inlaid with precious stones, was placed the sacred book of the Koran, its pages being of thin gold leaf delicately engraved above floated the tartar flag quartered with the emir's arms in a semicircle round the clearing stood the tents of the great functionaries of bokhara there resided the chief of the stables who has the right to follow the emir on horseback even into the court of his palace the grand falconer the hoshbegui bearer of the royal seal the topshibashi Grand Master of the Artillery, the Khodja, Chief of the Council, who receives the Prince's kiss, and may present himself before him with his girdle untied, the Sheikh Islam, Chief of the Ulimas, representing the priests, the Kazi Askev, who, in the Emir's absence, settles all disputes raised among the soldiers, and lastly, the Chief of the Astrologers, whose great business is to consult the stars every time the Khan thinks of changing his quarters. When the prisoners were brought into the camp, the emir was in his tent. He did not show himself. This was fortunate, no doubt. A sign, a word from him, might have been the signal for some bloody execution. But he entrenched himself in that isolation which constitutes in part the majesty of eastern kings. He who does not show himself is admired, and above all, feared. As to the prisoners, they were to be penned up in some enclosure, where, ill-treated, poorly fed, and exposed to all the inclemencies of the weather, they would await Feofar's pleasure. The most docile and patient of them all was undoubtedly Michael Strogoff. He allowed himself to be led, for they were leading him where he wished to go, and under conditions of safety which free he could not have found on the road from Kolyvan to Tomsk. To escape before reaching that town was to risk again falling into the hands of the scouts who were scouring the steppe. The most eastern line occupied by the Tartar columns was not situated beyond the 85th meridian, which passes through Tomsk. This meridian once passed, Michael considered that he should be beyond the hostile zones, that he could traverse jeniski without danger, and gain Krasnoyarsk before Feofar Khan had invaded the province. Once at Tomsk, he repeated to himself, to repress some feelings of impatience which he could not entirely master, in a few minutes I should be beyond the outposts, and twelve hours gained on Feofar, twelve hours on Ogareff, that surely would be enough to give me a start of them to Irkutsk. The thing that Michael dreaded more than everything else was the presence of Ivan Ogareff in the Tartar camp. Besides the danger of being recognized, he felt by a sort of instinct that this was the traitor whom it was especially necessary to precede. He understood, too, that the union of Ogareff's troops with those of Feofar would complete the invading army, and that the junction once effected, the army would march en masse on the capital of eastern Siberia. All his apprehensions came from this quarter, and he dreaded every instant to hear some flourish of trumpets, announcing the arrival of the lieutenant of the emir. To this was added the thought of his mother, of Nadia, the one a prisoner at Omsk, the other dragged on board the Irtish boats, and no doubt a captive as Marfa Strogoff was. He could do nothing for them. Should he ever see them again? at this question to which he dared not reply his heart sank very low at the same time with michael strogoff and so many other prisoners harry blount and alcide jolivet had also been taken to the tartar camp their former travelling companion captured like them at the telegraph office knew that they were penned up with him in the enclosure guarded by numerous sentinels but he did not wish to accost them it mattered little to him, at this time especially, what they might think of him since the affair at Ichim. Besides, he desired to be alone, that he might act alone if necessary. He therefore held himself aloof from his former acquaintances. From the moment that Harry Blount had fallen by his side, Jolivet had not ceased his attentions to him. During the journey from Colivan to the camp, That is to say, for several hours, Blount, by leaning on his companion's arm, had been enabled to follow the rest of the prisoners. He tried to make known that he was a British subject, but it had no effect on the barbarians, who only replied by prods with a lance or a sword. The correspondent of the Daily Telegraph was, therefore, obliged to submit to the common lot, resolving to protest later, and obtain satisfaction for such treatment but the journey was not the less disagreeable to him for his wound caused him much pain and without alcide jolivet's assistance he might never have reached the camp jolivet whose practical philosophy never abandoned him had physically and morally strengthened his companion by every means in his power his first care when they found themselves definitely established in the enclosure was to examine blount's wound having managed carefully to draw off his coat he found that the shoulder had been only grazed by the shot this is nothing he said a mere scratch after two or three dressings you will be all to rights but these dressings asked blount i will make them for you myself then you are something of a doctor all frenchmen are something of doctors and on this affirmation alcide tearing his handkerchief made lint of one piece bandages of the other took some water from a well dug in the middle of the enclosure, bathed the wound, and skilfully placed the wet rag on Harry Blount's shoulder. "'I treat you with water,' he said. "'This liquid is the most efficacious sedative known for the treatment of wounds, and is the most employed now. Doctors have taken six thousand years to discover that—yes, six thousand years in round numbers.' "'I thank you, Monsieur Jolivet,' answered Harry, stretching himself on a bed of dry leaves, which his companion had arranged for him in the shade of a birch-tree. "'Bah, it's nothing. You would do as much for me?' "'I am not quite so sure,' said Blount, candidly. "'Nonsense, stupid! All English are generous.' "'Doubtless, but the French?' "'Well, the French, they are brutes, if you like. But what redeems them is that they are French. Say nothing more about that, or rather say nothing more at all. Rest is absolutely necessary for you.' but harry blount had no wish to be silent if the wound in prudence required rest the correspondent of the daily telegraph was not a man to indulge himself monsieur jolivet he asked do you think that our last dispatches have been able to pass the russian frontier why not answered alcide by this time you may be sure that my beloved cousin knows all about the affair at colivan how many copies does your cousin work off of her dispatches asked Blount, for the first time, putting his question direct to his companion. "'Well?' answered Alcide, laughing. "'My cousin is a very discreet person, who does not like to be talked about, and who would be in despair if she troubled the sleep of which you are in need.' "'I don't wish to sleep,' replied the Englishman. "'What will your cousin think of the affairs of Russia?' "'That they seem for the time in a bad way. "'But, bah! the Muscovite government is powerful.' "'It cannot be really uneasy at the invasion of barbarians.' "'Too much ambition has lost the greatest empires,' answered Blount, "'who was not exempt from a certain English jealousy with regard to Russian pretensions in Central Asia. "'Oh, do not let us talk politics,' cried Jolivet. "'It is forbidden by the faculty. "'Nothing can be worse for wounds in the shoulder unless it was to put you to sleep.' "'Let us, then, talk of what we ought to do,' replied Blount." monsieur jolivet i have no intention at all of remaining a prisoner to these tartars for an indefinite time nor i either by jove we will escape on the first opportunity yes if there is no other way of regaining our liberty do you know of any other asked blount looking at his companion subtly we are not belligerents we are neutral and we will claim our freedom from that brute of a feofar khan no he would not understand answered jolivet but from his lieutenant ivan ogareff he is a villain no doubt but the villain is a russian he knows that it does not do to trifle with the rights of men and he has no interest to retain us on the contrary but to ask a favor of that gentleman does not quite suit my taste but that gentleman is not in the camp or at least i have not seen him here observed blount he will come he will not fail to do that he must join the emir siberia is cut in too now and very certainly feofar's army is only waiting for him to advance on irkutsk and once free what shall we do once free we will continue our campaign and follow the tartars until the time comes when we can make our way into the russian camp we must not give up the game no indeed we have only just begun Your friend have already had the honor of being wounded in the service of the daily telegraph whilst i i have as yet suffered nothing in my cousin's service well well good murmured alcide jolivet there he is asleep a few hours sleep and a few cold-water compresses are all that are required to set an englishman on his legs again these fellows are made of cast iron and whilst harry blount rested alcide watched near him after having drawn out his notebook which he loaded with notes determined besides to share them with his companion for the greater satisfaction of the readers of the daily telegraph events had united them one with the other they were no longer jealous of each other so then the thing that michael strogoff dreaded above everything was the most lively desire of the two correspondents ivan ogareff's arrival would evidently be of use to them Blount and Jolivet's interest was, therefore, contrary to that of Michael. The latter well understood the situation, and it was one reason, added to many others, which prevented him from approaching his former traveling companions. He therefore managed so as not to be seen by them. Four days passed thus without the state of things being in any wise altered. The prisoners heard no talk of the breaking up of the Tartar camp. They were strictly guarded— it would have been impossible for them to pass the cordon of foot and horse soldiers which watched them night and day as to the food which was given them it was barely sufficient twice in the twenty-four hours they were thrown a piece of the intestines of goats grilled on the coals or a few bits of that cheese called made of sour yew's milk and which soaked in mare's milk forms the kirghiz dish commonly called kumis and this was all It may be added that the weather had become detestable. There were considerable atmospheric commotions, bringing squalls mingled with rain. The unfortunate prisoners, destitute of shelter, had to bear all the inclemencies of the weather, nor was there the slightest alleviation to their misery. Several wounded women and children died, and the prisoners were themselves compelled to dig graves for the bodies of those whom their jailers would not even take the trouble to bury. During this trying period, Alcide Jolivet and Michael Strogoff worked hard, each in the portions of the enclosure in which they found themselves. Healthy and vigorous, they suffered less than so many others, and could better endure the hardships to which they were exposed. By their advice and the assistance they rendered, they were of the greatest possible use to their suffering and despairing fellow-captives. Was this state of things to last? Would feofar Khan, satisfied with his first success, wait some time before marching on Irkutsk? Such, it was to be feared, would be the case. But it was not so. The event so much wished for by Jolivet and Blount, so much dreaded by Michael, occurred on the morning of the 12th of August. On that day the trumpets sounded, the drums beat, the cannon roared, a huge cloud of dust swept along the road from Kolivan. Ivan Ogareff, followed by several thousand men, made his entry into the Tartar camp. End of Book 2, Chapter 1